So we are continuing uh, in our current series, which is True or False, True or False. And uh, I want to, as we get started, I want to draw your attention to a few familiar logos that everybody, everybody knows, everybody recognizes these, these logos. Um, the first one is something that uh, you see on your doorstep a lot, I'm sure, uh, FedEx. And uh, does anybody see something specific that stands out in this logo? And I want you to let me know. What is it? The arrow, yes. The arrow is between the E and the X. Who didn't see it at first? Okay, a few of you, a few honest souls. Yes. But Brad, he was on top of it. You know why? Because he's a sign man. And so his eye went immediately to that detail. And uh, yeah, so FedEx has that. They've actually won over 30 awards for this sign uh, because of that intricate detail in the negative portion of the sign, the white, uh, that arrow, that kind of hidden meaning. And uh, it's there because they want you to know that they're always moving forward. They're moving quickly. Your stuff is going to come fast. It's, it's an arrow pointing the right direction. It's going to come when it needs to, and uh, it's, they're always moving forward. Another um, very familiar logo that's associated sometimes with FedEx, kind of a partnership. It's either UPS or FedEx that brings you uh, the things from this company is, uh, yes, Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon. And uh, who, who notices a detail on this logo? What, what's the detail? It's pretty obvious. What is it? Okay, yes, yes. There's a, there's a smile, which means when I get an Amazon package, I'm happy until I see my Amazon bill. But it's also, the smile is A to Z. They have everything from A to Z, and boy, do they. There's just, I mean, if you can't find something on Amazon, you're in bad luck. Just ask my, my dear friends uh, sitting somewhere in the front. They, they love Amazon, uh, and, and we talk about that sometimes, about how much we all love Amazon, but I think they have us beat. Um, and, and A to Z really is what uh, describes Amazon. All right, uh, here's another one. Uh, this is Sony's computer, main computer product now. Sony Vio is how that's pronounced. So if you were ever wondering how to pronounce that when you've seen that or even what that says, it's Vio, V-A-I-O. And uh, there is a, a very, very detailed hidden meaning in this one that only a few of you probably know. Uh, you really kind of need to be a little on the geeky side uh, to get this. Sorry, no offense. It's just kind of how it is. I mean, you know, everyday Joe isn't going to know exactly what the hidden meaning of that is. Um, but what that is, uh, let's see, is Pastor Matthew's mic on? All right, speaking of uh, someone who, who is very tech-oriented, let's, let's tell everyone here what the hidden meaning of that logo, the, the purposeful structure. Well, which, which one? There are several. Well, let's There's go a- with the... Analog in the there, there's, yes. there's analog to digital with the uh, with the uh, sine wave in yep. the V and the A, and there's also the the one the, the I and the O represent a, a, a one and a zero. So. Yeah, the digital end the of things. So the, it's the binary the realm integration yes. of yes. analog and digital. That's what they were going with, and letting you know that they are moving forward into the digital age. Ooh. Ooh. So yes, thank you, thank you. 
Uh, all right, and here's one that, uh, that I uh, have always loved, this company, and wish we had this around here, uh, Baskin-Robbins. Who doesn't love some Baskin-Robbins? And within their logo, what do you see? Yeah, 31 flavors for the, the Baskin-Robbins ice cream selection. Love Baskin-Robbins. I was sad to see them go when they did. I want them back. All right, and last but not least, here is uh, a really cool logo, the Bronx Zoo. Uh, people love zoos, you know, love going, going and seeing the exotic animals. The Bronx Zoo is actually uh, one of the largest, largest zoos in North America, and it is the largest metropolitan zoo there is. Now, underneath the giraffes, what do you see? Yep, the, the skyline of New York. They wanted to feature that there, so pretty cool logo. Uh, all these are, are actually really cool logos, I think. And the reason I, I drew your attention to them is because each one of them, what they all have in common, is that there's something below the surface. There's something more than what you see at first. It's not just about the surface. You have to go a little deeper. And when you do, you find something else about these logos and what they're trying to communicate, what they're trying to convey, the, the message and mission of the company that's represented in the logos. And that is, that is very much um, what we're going to be talking about today as we look at week three of our True or False series. Um, because... As we will see in this message, as we go forward, and what the title of our message is today is that some wolves wear wool. Some wolves wear wool. Yes, exactly right. That's an appropriate response. It really is. Matthew 7.15, Jesus says this, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. That was Christ's admonition to his followers there with him, close to the start of the first century there. Uh, but it's, it's a timeless and always relevant challenge. Something that we all need to hear and heed and apply. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You know, uh, it's safe to say that sheep are not, by nature, violent animals. Right? Uh, you don't really hear about cases of, of a sheep gone wild. You know, a, a, an attacking sheep. Goats... You know, the cousin of the sheep, on the other hand, you hear about that. I can personally attest to that. Um, but sheep, you know, they're pretty mild-mannered. They just kind of do their thing. It's kind of like a cow. I mean, they just kind of eat and drink and sleep and get lost sometimes. And, and that's what they do. So they're, they're pretty unassuming, you know. Um, and when you think, when you see a sheep, you, you think kind of, you think calmness. You think... You think serenity. You think mellow. Wolves, especially ones that are ravenous and, and hungry, uh, you think the opposite. You, you, you think violence. You think um, 
pursuit, you think hunting, you think aggression, right? And that's what Jesus is trying to convey here. Um, false prophets that come along, they, they have it down, what they need to do to get in to where they can find food. They, they, they have it down, the strategy of what it takes to, to really get behind defenses and to catch you off guard. They, they know that they need to appear very non-threatening, very unassuming, you know, very, very mellow. Uh, they want you to, to think, oh, there's nothing to fear here. There's nothing uh, to be skeptical of. Um, they look like everything else that I know. They, they look like we do. They, you know, they're fine. And then once you let them in and you allow influence to be given and your guard is down, that's when you find out that instead they are ravaging wolves and you find yourself right between their jaws. And that's Jesus' instruction that, again, as I said, is timeless. It's always relevant for every age. And in the Old Testament, the same instruction could have been given. And in many ways it was. Uh, Before Christ, in the days of Jeremiah, as he prophesied about the impending judgment of God on the sin of his people, as he openly and continually declared that you need to repent, because if you don't, there will be a day of reckoning. Your sins will be held to account. It's coming. The judgment of God is going to fall. But I'm here to let you know you can escape it. I'm here to let you know you can reverse course and avoid experiencing this judgment. It doesn't have to come, but it will if you don't turn around. And he, he warned the people of Israel faithfully, consistently, and he was met with a lack of response and a lack of belief. And making his job worse... There were all kinds of false prophets and false messengers coming behind him saying, no, don't listen to this guy. There's no judgment. God loves you. And God is just full of love and compassion and mercy. Don't listen to this warmonger. Don't worry about it. He's just, he's crazy. He's just trying to get you stirred up. You don't need to fear some impending judgment. The sky is not falling. Just go and enjoy your life. And people heard Jeremiah's message, and they heard that message, and they said, you know what? Hmm, I think I like that other message a whole lot better. That sounds a lot easier to swallow. And it may have been, but accepting that message would be done at their peril. Here's what God says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, 16 through 17. And it's very similar to, to what we hear Christ himself saying. Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you Filling you with vain or empty hopes. And verse 16 continued. Here's why God is saying don't listen to them. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. 
They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, which was coming through Jeremiah and others, it shall be well with you. Everything's going to be fine. Don't fear any sort of wrath falling on you. Don't fear any judgment. God, God is a God of love and goodness. And let's not even talk about this sin issue. It, come on, God, God isn't really upset with you. He's not displeased with you. He's not disappointed with how you're living your life. You're not doing anything to offend him. Everything's fine and everything will be fine. Verse 17 continued, And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, which is rebellion, which is sin, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. In other words, there is nothing to answer for. God made you, he loves you, and he wants you just to live your life however you want to live it. That's what God's will is for you. Just live your life for yourself. Get all you can out of life. Wring it dry. From every drop of fulfillment and satisfaction, just go for the gusto. Get it all while you can. God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. That's their message. And that's certainly what make, made them false prophets. And, and a very similar thing was, was being communicated all throughout the years, all the way up into Christ's day. And after his, after his ministry was over, after he went back to the Father, he knew that many would come up after him as false teachers, false messengers, false prophets. And he was warning his disciples and looking ahead, I believe, to when the, the church was going to be started so that they would instruct the early church about the same thing. Be careful. Be on guard. There's wolves that are going to come into your, your flock and they're going to be disguised like you. They're going to appear like just innocent little sheep. They're going to just talk and, and look and seem like you and like people that you can trust, sources of, of trust for you. But you need to understand they're actually ravenous, ravaging wolves in disguise. What they will speak, if it's different from what I say to you, Jesus would say, and God in the Old Testament with Jeremiah would say, if, if what you're hearing is different from my messenger, and in that context, Jeremiah, reject it, no matter how good it might sound, because it's not from me. And that's what we need to understand about false prophets. We, we tend to think of, when we hear the word prophet, we tend to think of someone that tells the future. And that's kind of what we focus on. And certainly, uh, that was true all throughout prophetic ministry in the Old Testament, and in some extent, even in the New Testament, that there was a, a foretelling. But that was never the main or primary role of God's prophet. Their primary role, their task was always forthtelling. It was always to, to declare God's message. The prophet, God's prophet, was always his messenger, his mouthpiece. They were primarily tasked with declaring God's will for his people, declaring God's word to them, teaching God's word to them. Um, Really, their primary task was one of being a pastor for God's people. So I want you to focus in on that. Okay, let's, let's kind of uh, put to the side the, the more sensational aspect of the 
uh, biblical prophet's role in telling the future and all of that. Um, and let's remember that their main task was, was really proclaiming God's word and God's will for his people. And back with what we have heard here in Jeremiah, uh, what took place surrounding his ministry and God's uh, very clear instruction to his people to reject the message of all the other prophets that were surrounding them because they were saying, all will be well, there's no judgment coming, Jeremiah is not telling the truth, you don't need to worry about it, just go out and live life, be happy, pursue happiness, build up your own kingdom, build up your own life. My question to you with that is, does that sound familiar to you at all? Does that sound at all like a current message that's popular, that's prevalent? It should. It should. If you've been alive any length of time, it should sound very popular, very familiar, very uh, common, and that's because it is. And there's kind of an umbrella that we have in our world and, and have for quite some time. It's by no means new, this, this kind of overall umbrella that I'm going to mention, uh, and that is the prosperity gospel. You've, you've heard that, right? Let me, let me have a show of hands who's heard that. I would imagine just about everybody here, yeah. The prosperity gospel. It's not a new term. Uh, it's been around for a long time, um, and there's been some architects of that along the way. Um, one of the, uh, the main architects was Oral Roberts, and then there's, there's been uh, Kenneth Copeland and uh, Tammy Faye, right? Remember her? Uh, the Bakers. Um, there's uh, certainly Benny Hinn would fall in line with that. Um, he's more than really just a, a prosperity preacher. He's also been on the, the far fringe of the, the charismatic apostolic movement and works. Uh, maybe you've seen, uh, I hope that you haven't been in a, a service, but maybe you've seen a video online or something or, or now with YouTube where he's walking around on stage twirling his jacket. You know, um, There's actually a really... Uh, very comical parody of where they've incorporated Star Wars into that. And so as he twirls his jacket, which he uses as like his magical spirit-powered fleece, uh, you know, like force lightning comes out of it. And, and he has a lightsaber instead. And, and I would recommend that as opposed to watching an accurate video of him any day. Um, but uh, that's, that's, you know, Benny Hinn, he's, he's a faith healer and along with the prosperity movement. And there's, there's more, there's T.D. Jakes and uh, uh, Creflo Dollar. And there's, all, there's a lot of names you could refer to. They're all part of this prosperity gospel movement. Okay? And they really all end up saying the same thing. It's all a variation of the same thing. But one person certainly has risen to the top of all of those examples. Uh, he's kind of the, the prosperity prince now. Uh, I, I refer to him as the perpetually smiling preacher. Um, and that is none other than uh, Mr. Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. I'm sure you know Joel Osteen. He still to this day has the largest church in North America, uh, 45,000 members. Um, they had to end up buying the old, uh, one of the old 
Coliseums in Houston, the Compact Center. They bought that. That's their church now. Uh, over, 10, 000, over 10 million people stream and watch his program every week. Um, he's written 10 different books, all bestsellers. And uh, so Joel Osteen is definitely the, the most familiar of the prosperity preachers. Okay? And if you want to know a little bit uh, about what he says... And the only way I would encourage you to know a little bit about what he says is to know how incredibly insane and unbiblical it is so that you can be guarded against it and so that you can then also guard others against it. That's the only way and only reason I would instruct you to ever know anything this man has to say. Uh, That would be the extent of it. Uh, But here's what he had to say. This is from his own words in uh, what has now been his best-selling book to date, which was based on his most popular message to date, uh, which Oprah Winfrey said changed her life. So that should tell you something when that's your highest endorsement. Um, But here's, here's what he had to say in his book, The Power of I Am. That's the name of his book. And uh, you'll see quickly that the power of I am that he's talking about is not the I am. Rather, it's, it's an entirely different I am and should never be capitalized. Um, here's what he had to say in this book, which again is part of his, uh, a message that he gave. Two simple words will determine what kind of life you live. I am. I am blessed. I am strong. I am healthy. Or, I am slow I am unattractive. I am a lousy mother. The I am's coming out of your mouth will bring either success or failure. All through the day, the power of I am is at work. We make a mistake and out of our mouth tumbles, I am so clumsy. We look in the mirror, shake our head and say, I am so old. We see somebody who we think is more talented and whisper under our breath, I am so average. We get caught in traffic and grump, I am so unlucky. Many times we wield the power of I am against ourselves. We don't realize how it's affecting our future. Here's the principle. Whatever follows the I am will eventually find you. When you say I am so clumsy, clumsiness comes looking for you. I am so old, wrinkles come looking for you. Wow, it was just that easy. It's as though you're inviting them. Whatever you follow the I am with, you're handing it an invitation, opening the door, and giving it permission to be in your life. The good news is, and no, it's not the gospel that he inserts here, you get to choose what follows the I am. When you go through the day saying, I am blessed, blessings come looking for you. I am talented, talent comes looking for you. You may not feel up to par, but when you say, I am healthy, health starts heading your way. I am strong, strength starts tracking you down. You're inviting those things into your life. So choose today to rise to a new level and invite God's goodness by focusing on those two words, I am. You can set the course for your future on the right track by speaking the right things Because what follows I am will follow you. Excuse me while I go to the back, because that makes me sick, right? And yet, 45,000 people every Sunday fill his stadium to hear 
another version of that every single week and buy the books and put them on the bestseller list. But true believer, true believer, you should recognize, and surely you do, that this is absolute nonsense. I mean, do, do strength and, and blessings have the ability to come looking for you? Of course not, right? How ridiculous and, and unbiblical is that? I mean, God does bless us, sure. But he does so according to his perfect will. And he does so according to his perfect plan and in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. This whole idea of making I am declarations will always be completely outside of the way God blesses us. And it wrongly suggests that we have the power, I have the power, to cause good things to happen in our lives. That the power of desire and declaration, as long as it's sincere and full of faith, obligates God to act accordingly. It's a lie from the great enemy. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And that is at the heart of the word of faith perversion, the prosperity gospel perversion and deception, which, which basically teaches that we are all little gods. Very similar to Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness philosophy. Very similar things. They're, they're I mean, intertwined. Joe Olstein was also featured in this magazine, Success Magazine, in 2016. And uh, in this magazine, Joel Osteen says that he doesn't hear the critics of his prosperity gospel who say that he causes people to focus on themselves instead of God. He says this, It seems like I'm naive, but everybody I talk to, they're saying, You helped me. I like listening to you, he told Success Magazine. And the stadium's full of people. They're not coming because they're critics. They're coming because I touched their life. Osteen tells uh, the writer of the article that he's featured in, Michael Mooney, uh, that called him the most popular minister on the planet. That's the name of the article. He tells him that precision is one of the keys to his success. He says this, It's got to look good, and you've got to be precise. There's so much competing for the viewer's attention these days. But to that, I would say, and I would hope you would as well, Don't assume that a full church building is automatically a place that is full of truth. It may very well be. And if it is, praise God. Uh, There are many examples of packed churches that are also packed with biblical, God-honoring truth. I would love for us to be one of them. I would love for us to be packed to the sides and spilling out over into the parking lot every single week, not because I want a monument to me or I want to build our own little kingdom that's built according to our desires, but because we are a place that's so full of truth that that people are hungry for it and, and they can't come in fast enough. Sure, I would love that. And there are many churches that are examples of of being packed and full and yet also full of God-honoring truth. But it's not just a given. Masses of people are not just a given and a guarantee that the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, 
is being proclaimed and that things are being done his way. And uh, along the same lines, uh, both sides of that coin are true for smaller churches. Just because a church is small does not mean truth is being proclaimed. You can't can't gauge the, the truth content on either one of those measurements. It's not about size either way. One more thing I would say is that God defines success as a whole lot more than how things appear and how precise they are. Therefore, we should too. Uh, We need to make sure that our definition of spiritual success, individually and corporately as a church, we need to make sure that our definition of success matches God's definition of success. Now, He defines success as how we should define it. And that's what should drive our pursuit of being successful. I, I would much rather be considered a total non-successful person by everyone in this world and in this life. No offense to you. I do value you, your opinion and your respect, but I'd rather be, be deemed unsuccessful by every mortal person and to be declared by God as a success. And to hear him say, well done, successful, good and faithful servant. I hope that's your desire too. We don't serve man. We don't pursue man's praise. So, I think that uh, Joel Osteen is a prime example of what Jeremiah had to say and the warning that we heard there and that God had for his people there. And I believe it's the same warning that he has for us because Joel Osteen is by no means alone. And he might be at the forefront. He might be the most public face of that. You know, he might be the one um, on display the most, but it's by no means limited to him. And what we need to recognize about him and and so many other false teachers that pervert and twist the word of God and and the gospel and make it not a gospel at all is what 2 Corinthians 11 has to say. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 through 15. God through the apostle Paul has this to say. For such men, and this was uh, describing people that were coming along Paul. See, it's in every age. Jeremiah had to deal with it. Jesus had to deal with it. He knew all of his followers would, have, followers would have to deal with it. Paul had people all around him coming and perverting his gospel, accusing him of, of saying the wrong thing and trying to correct what he had to say to suit their needs and, and to try to deceive people. And every church that he planted, he had this, the Corinthian church, the Galatian church, the Thessalonian church, the Ephesian church. Here's what he had to say about them, people that were undermining the message of the gospel. For such men are false Apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostle of Christ, apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, of illumination, of enlightenment. Verse 15, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You know, you you hear things all throughout life and all throughout our world that you're going to constantly have to bring into question and ask, is it true or is it false? That's the whole premise of this series. And we said at the very beginning, in the first message, everything that we look at together for the purpose of this series is meant to 
challenge you and to remind you and to encourage you to do the same thing in your life as you go out these doors because every day you're going to be inundated with things left or right that are requiring you to have a discerning mind and ask the question and answer the question, is it true or false, according to God's word, his standard, his absolute truth. Not according to what I feel, not according to what I wish were so, not according to what other people are telling me, but is it true according to God's timeless word? That's the question we have to ask before ourselves all the time. And I believe with increasing frequency and measure as the age goes along in time. The longer the Lord Jesus tarries from his return, the more church you and I are going to have to be discerning, the more we're going to have to be willing to answer hard questions and to ask hard questions. I had um, uh, an occasion here recently where a person who uh, proclaims himself as a prophet of God has told me on two separate occasions when I asked publicly for some prayer uh, dealing with um, sick kids that um, go ahead and just believe that God has healed them because he has. He told me that he has. And so you just need to accept his healing and know that he's healed. Praise Jesus. They're healed. At one time, it, was just, it wasn't even asking for prayer. It was just mentioning, uh, I think actually Leanne mentioned it on Facebook, that um, uh-oh, both girls have to have glasses, or, or I'm taking, taking the girls to get their glasses, or something like that. They were going to the eye doctor, and she mentioned it, or I mentioned it, or maybe there, were a pic, there was a picture of them in their glasses. I don't know. I can't remember now. But he, he, this person commented and said, um, go ahead and throw those glasses away, because God has healed their eyes, and they don't need glasses anymore. Praise Jesus. Don't mind the fact that you just spent, you know, hundreds of dollars on their glasses. Just throw them away. Um, this last time, Aiden was really sick. He had high fevers for a week. It was like 104. That's how high it got up to. So we, we tried to see if it was just going to break, and, and they, they weren't breaking, and he wasn't getting any better. So, we, yeah, I called the doctor, right? Took him to the doctor. Um, I put it on Facebook. I said, please pray for our little guy. He's really sick. Here's what's going on. Um, thinking it's the flu, we'll find out as we go to the doctor. And so this individual contacted me and said, when you go to the doctor, get in your car, or don't get out of your car, just turn around and go home. Because God has healed him. Praise Jesus. So I had had enough. Finally, I just, I responded to him. I said, well, that would have been nice. That would have been great. But uh, no, that didn't happen because here's what he has. You know, and I I said, here's what he was diagnosed with. So that person uh, obviously would have said, well, you just didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough belief. You you didn't claim God's uh, blessing of healing at that moment. And what I told him was, well, you know what? I believe that God is fully able and I was fully ready to receive God's healing if that's how he chose to work. But instead, he chose to heal my little boy through the doctor and through the medicine that he gave at this point. God is always good, and God is always going to provide what we need, but it's always going to be according to His timetable, and in His way, and according to His will, not ours, not according to our agenda, not according to what we desire. It comes down to this. Are we going to recognize God's perfect sovereignty over our lives, or aren't we? Are we going to recognize that He is in control, and in that control He is perfectly good all the time, 
and I submit to him as the creator and sustainer of my life and the Lord of my life, knowing that he is truly a good, good father, like we sing so much of the time. It's so true. He is. And am I going to accept that and believe that? And am I going to receive that? Or am I going to limit my faith in him, my trust in him, my love for him, my service for him, my worship of him to only him matching my agenda? That's the question that's before all of us all the time. Colossians 2.8 says this, Be careful that no one, be careful that no one takes you captive, which describes all those people that have subscribed or are subscribing to the prosperity gospel or the faith healing movement or any other number of false deception or of, of false teaching and deception. It's captivity. It's what it is. Be careful that no one takes you captive. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to you and me. Through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Church, we've, we've talked about you know, the maybe extreme examples in Joel Osteen and, and the, the person I just mentioned, his comments to me. Those are, those are really obvious. You know, that's like Clark Kent Superman obvious, right? The disguise isn't really working. It's, it's very blatant. But the, the truth of the matter is, and what we all need to understand, is that the deception of the prosperity gospel and other false teaching, it's actually far more subtle a lot of the times than Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar or Kenneth Copeland or any of those things. And it actually can sneak into our ideology and our, our mindset, our heart, and even our church before we even realize it. You know, it's very easy far easier than we would probably care to admit, to equate God's blessing and God's favor and God's power on display in our church with how successful we are in the church. In other words, how vast our resources are. It's really easy, especially for those of us that are pastors, to look at for lack of a better term, our bottom line, you know, to see where we are in terms of income, to see where we are in terms of budget, to see where we are in terms of giving levels, and, and to see that ebb and flow. And when it's up, it's really easy to say, praise God, he's at work. He's blessing. And when it's down, it's really easy to say, oh no, what does this mean? Why is God not working? Why is God not blessing? What is this really saying? What sin is in the body? What open sin? This is the sin of Achan. And it's really easy to start connecting those dots that many times aren't intended to be connected. And when we do that, we're slowly creeping towards the prosperity gospel mindset. Because the prosperity gospel mindset is God's working and God's power equals dollar signs. Individually and corporately. And so when there's a void somewhere, the immediate answer for all of those people is, 
it must be your lack of faith. It must be your lack of vision. It must be your lack of belief. It must be sin in your life. Now, could it be sin? Yes, because God isn't going to bless unrepentant, active sin. We know that from Scripture. But if, as far as we know, we are walking consistently in step with the Spirit, we are confessing our sin, we are pursuing righteousness imperfectly, but consistently, if we're doing that as individuals, and we're doing that to the best of our ability as a church then we, we need to be sure that we don't associate lean times as the absence of the working and blessing and direction of God. In fact, sometimes, as hard as it is to swallow, and I'm the first to admit it's hard, it's difficult to walk through this, but sometimes God actually uses the lean times as His blessing. Because He forces you to depend on him more. He forces you to remain faithful to him beyond what's in your, your checking account, whether that's as an organization or as an individual or as a family. So we need to be very careful. And there's all kinds of other examples that I just don't have time to go into, but it really what we hear in Colossians 2.8 is a very fitting summary. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy, whatever that might be, through empty deceit based on human tradition, whatever that might look like, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. In other words, keep your eye on Jesus and keep your ear to his word. That's that's the safeguard. That's the safeguard for all of us. And as we do that, through his word, like the Bereans in Acts who heard Paul the Apostle. I mean, you can't hear anyone better than that, right? They, you know, you know you're going to hear something right and true from, from the Apostle Paul, but they didn't limit their, their acceptance of truth based on who it was that was giving it to them. They weren't believing the message just because it was Paul speaking. Acts says that they daily checked the scriptures. They poured over the scriptures after Paul spoke to them to see if the things he said were so. That's what needs to define our lives, church. That's how we need to be. Be in the word, know the word, so that we can recognize counterfeit anytime it comes. We can recognize the wolf in sheep's clothing anytime they come into our fold. Let's pray. Christian, the ability to digest falsehood, the ability to be trapped, the ability to be taken captive by deception, by falsehood, is incredibly easy. And it's going to be, I'm afraid, even easier the farther along we go. Which makes it that much more important to not just discern outwardly where there is deception and falsehood, but also to discern inwardly. Where where am I possibly drifting? And it's always a slow drift. We don't wake up one day and decide, "I'm I'm going to decide now to just go ahead and give myself fully over to all that is false. We don't do that. Nobody does that. It's a slow fade and it's a slow drift.
And that means we have to constantly be looking inwardly and introspectively say, is there any area that I'm drifting away from the anchor of the truth that is found in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you show me that? I invite you to do that now, and I I encourage you to do that continually. Holy Spirit, show me, reveal to me, is there anything that I have digested in the form of doctrine or teaching or philosophy or mindset that is not of you? And if I have, please rid me of it and guide me in truth, because you are the Spirit of truth. I encourage you to make that a, a constant, habitual prayer in your life. And I just want to ask, is there anyone who, now that you've heard this message, this part three of our series, God definitely dealt with you and worked in your heart and your mind as you were listening. And I just want to know, is there any area that I could pray for you about? You don't ever have to tell me. I, I, just, I can pray for you knowing that you're in need of that. Would you let me know that by just slipping up your hand? And I'd, I'd love to pray for you in whatever that is a need. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your honesty. Amen. Anyone else? Anybody else? Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, sing together one more time, and then we'll have the, uh, the meeting together afterwards, which, again, all are welcome to stay for. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that your word is truth. It's timeless. It's absolute. It's always relevant. Father, thank you for the loving reminder and challenge and encouragement in your word to recognize that there are false prophets and false messengers. And as we look in your word and we see previous instruction, we can take that and bring it over to where we are and apply it right here and now in our lives. Because just as the, the nation of Israel had to deal with false prophets and false messengers. And just as Jesus had the same thing with the Pharisees and scribes, and just as he knew his followers would have to contend with that as he left them, and Paul and Peter and James and John, they all dealt with that. And on through the ages into where we are, we know that in, until Jesus, until you come back and until you receive us to yourself and until you usher in your, your eternal kingdom here on earth, we're always going to contend with false prophets. So help us to be discerning people. Help us to recognize what is true and what is false and to make that distinction. Help us to remember, though, that we're only going to be able to do that as long as we are in your word and knowing your word and applying your word. But thank you that we don't have to do that alone. You've given us your spirit, who is the spirit of truth, to guide us into all truth. So help us to be people that submit to him in all things. And I pray for those that raise their hands saying, there was, there was something that the Holy Spirit revealed to me throughout this message. There was something that he, he let me know that is, is maybe weak or lacking in my life. Whatever that is, whatever area of work that you have have led these individuals to be open to. I pray that you'd continue to to reveal your perfect will to them, continue to guide and direct them into truth, and give them the ability to recognize what they need to, to get rid of, what they need to surrender to you, whatever you need to do in their heart, in their mind, God. I pray that they would be open and obedient to do it. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.